Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling, tingling, tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? Yes. Oh. Well, that's good. <laughs> to listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. We are still with it, Spider-Man Unlimited, and we are digging it in this episode is the, f- uh, I was going to say the first one, but it's not the first one, but the first one in a, in, a, in a bit where we're getting a counter-Earth version of a classic Spider-Man villain. Yes. And it is interesting. <laughs> That's the word I'd use. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> there are there are, choice, there are choices, choices made. Choices were made. Deadly choices, one might say. Events occur. Yeah. A story is told uh <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go out on a limb and say this is one of the weaker ones so far of I... the show. weakest one of the I... <laughs> I, th- oh, I think it is one of the weaker episodes and i think it's my least favorite episode that we've talked about i wouldn't disagree with that i think yeah we're gonna get into this deeper but i think general overview is that i think that Deadly Choices, the the Git episode is like a pretty horribly written episode, mm-hmm. but there's so many things about it to like, partially because Git is a really fascinating character and, and a lot of the concepts in it are good enough. I think the problem with this episode is that there isn't really, it's not a particularly well-written one and like none of the characters in it redeem it <laughs> particularly. I unfortunately. think <laughs> it's better to leave a bad but fascinating impression than no real impression at all yeah i think this episode suffers from some of the things that all the episodes have suffered from to this point and then on top of that does something that completely lacks any sort of provocative take (laughs) so yes yes so here's the thing so we're talking about spider-man unlimited season one episode six Mm -hmm. entitled enter the hunter exclamation point Mm -hmm. i think it's the only episode with an exclamation point at the end don't get that choice okay it's a choice the synopsis per imdb is when the high evolutionary sees that spider-man is a bug in his plans oh uh, clever he (laughs) has his min (laughs) he has his minion sir ram hire an assassin named the hunter in parentheses, counter Earth's Craven the Hunter to kill Spider Man. That's what happens. Not really much depth beyond that. And that's the thing about this that I think is a problem with the episode that I wouldn't have expected to be a problem with this show is that this is counter Earth's version of Craven the Hunter, essentially. The thing with Green Goblin is that they had like a take on Green Goblin, right? And that's oh, the thing yeah. I think we, we said in that episode 
that is kind of cool about this show is that because of the sort of weird like semi-parallel Earth, but not quite just a total parallel Earth thing that they're doing is that like in order to really do a counter-Earth version of a villain, they have to really have a take. But this proves that wrong because they don't really seem to have a take on Craven. is the problem, I would say, with this episode. Right. Um, it really is like – it seems like if you had like an alternate Marvel title, like an ultimate – an ultimate Spider-Man or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's just like an alternate universe Spider-Man. I could see this just being a straight adaptation of 616 Craven the Hunter. That's just a less interesting version of him, essentially. Yeah. This this doesn't really need to be a counter-Earth villain, you know? There's nothing about him that really makes him particularly distinct. There's just like a few things about like original Craven that's like slightly tweaked. And there's like a couple of extra things about him that are different, but ultimately he's just like a more boring version of Craven that's like a little more evil. <laughs> like that's yeah. really all it boils down to. This is what you get when they want to tell a Craven story. They're not allowed to use Craven. And I'm guessing they were too afraid to be too similar to Craven, but didn't have a strong enough take to be different from Craven. And so all the things that were interesting about Craven are gone, and all the things that could have been interesting about the Hunter never emerged. Yeah, it's literally just like they just stripped Craven down to kind of like the core archetype, I guess, mm-hmm. of him, which is literally just like he's a hunter who likes to hunt man. And like <laughs> that's it. Like at least with Craven, like there will usually be like kind of this weird kind of like austereness or like a w- kind of an interesting like backstory to him mm-hmm. or maybe he's more of an anti-hero or anti-villain depending on the version that you're going with or like they you know, in some versions he's like ultimate Spider-Man comic. He just becomes a genetically like modified furry basically which would fit into like this world. Mm-hmm. In this case they yeah, they don't have do anything with him. They just kind of make him just the trope and that's it like there's not really much else to it there's a couple of like cool bits that uh, are bits that seem like they could have been cool that seem to be thrown in at the end of it that we'll dig into but like even that it's sort of like doesn't really add anything to it because it's just like okay so you're just like you have no ambition or interest other than just hunting people cool all right (laughs) yep 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 (sighs) well this Episode originally aired February 3rd, 2001. Story was by uh, Will Minio, Michael Reeves, and Roger uh, Slafer, who we've all talked about. The teleplay is by a couple of new writers, however, uh, Diane DeWayne and Peter Morewood. DeWayne wrote on the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo show that was just called Scooby-Doo and uh, Scrappy-Doo. She also wrote on Star Trek The Next Generation, interestingly. Hmm. Additionally, she wrote on DuckTales, Batman the Animated Series, and Gargoyles, which have all come up plenty of times on this show. Morwood didn't really have a lot of credits to his name. Uh, The only main ones that stood out were Batman the Animated Series and Gargoyles. So Hmm. still like notable good shows, but not as many, not as much experience with, uh, with, with writing and TV, it seems like. Right, right. Huh. Well, the the main character, obviously, in this is uh, the hunter. That's the one that's introduced. And we should really drive home the fact that it is just the hunter. It is not called Craven on this planet. They almost certainly were not allowed to use the name Craven. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Because they they go above and beyond never giving him an actual name Uh beyond the hunter. Uh (laughs) No one knows his real name. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) The Hunter is voiced by Paul Dobson, who I could have sworn we talked about at some point, but I could not find where we would have, Hmm. which is so strange because he sounded so familiar. Anyway, 
Dobson voices Dr. Doom across a few properties. Uh, He voices Doom on Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes, which is sort of like an anime-ish looking show, but is, I think, a American-Canadian-French collaboration, strangely enough. Um, He also voices Doom in Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and in the Marvel Super Heroes 4D Experience, which is an animated film produced specifically for Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. Excuse me? (laughs) Which I didn't realize was even a thing. Like, I'd heard of Madame Tussauds, surely. I had no idea, one, that they had other attractions, and two, that they would have, like, a a specific superhero 3d or 4d film that you could see fascinating i i was totally dumbfounded (laughs) so that's a thing that exists that he voiced a character in (laughs) i hear it's very good okay that is fascinating (laughs) i know (laughs) He also provides voices for a number of English dubs of anime properties, which is not a surprise here, um, such as Ranma One Half or Half or I don't know. (laughs) Who knows? I I don't I've never watched it. Uh, Inuyasha, Mobile Suit Gundam and unsurprisingly Transformers and Dragon Ball Z. And in addition to some of those already mentioned, he provides talent for a number of properties we've already mentioned while talking about Unlimited. Such as G.I. Joe Extreme, Street Fighter the Animated Series, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd Century, Reboot, X-Men, Evolution, Robocop, Alpha Commando, and surely others. (laughs) Do you think they all lived in the same house together, too? It seems like, yeah, maybe they did. (laughs) Sure seems like it, doesn't it? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Is he, this is an awkward question, but I think it's always kind of important to point it out uh, when we're doing this stuff, unfortunately. Uh, is is he a white guy playing a black guy in this, or is he just like very light skinned in real life? Because I'm oh. looking at pictures of him, and he looks like he's a white guy. Interesting question. Um, I don't know. I it I wouldn't be surprised if he was a white guy playing a black guy. Uh, this show seems to the more the more we look at folks, seems to have like no regard for appropriate racial casting from. All, like all perspectives yeah except for naoko i i guess is the yeah. only one that seems like they cast someone of asian descent right one way or another for her but that's it yeah it doesn't necessarily make me think that was intentional as much as it might have been like coincidental like i don't mm-hmm. know if, if it was a specific casting choice or if it was a role that she pursued based on the character uh, yeah unsure yeah i i i don't know i don't know anything about him i he's Kind of racially ambiguous, to be quite honest. Yeah. That, well, because that, that's the other, because there's another, there's like a minor voice in this episode that's clearly meant to be like someone who's Japanese, who, mm-hmm. and nobody on the voice list who is a man has a Japanese name or, or looks to be Japanese and it's not like credited particularly. Yeah. So it's like, oh, is that just a white guy doing a Japanese accent? Because <laughs> that's not great. Because it's, yeah, uh... <laughs> no idea. No. It's very unfortunate. points in their favor though i know karen is like voiced by a black woman so like that's pretty cool yeah that they at least like worked it in the other direction yeah i mean if you're if you're gonna do it give opportunities to folks who don't typically have them uh as opposed to the other way around i know i know it's just like uh i hate you know it's 1999 or 2000 i guess at the point it's like i get it it's just like it sucks when it comes up (laughs) yeah it's just it's weird it's it's i'm i'm glad you pointed it out because i didn't even 
didn't even think about it while I was looking at yeah. looking at this. But it's it's hard to tell. I I think his brothers are also actors, so I've been like creeping on on their pictures too. I really yeah. it's it's I'm totally unsure. Yeah, I think it's it's you know it's not like it's not as much of a big deal I guess for like minor characters and stuff because like whatever that they're just using their house voice actors. Yeah, you're all additional voice talent basically. But, in, but like in this case, they made a conscious choice to make their Craven the Hunter like a black guy. Yeah. Um, so you know it would have been cool to get a, a black voice actor in there. And I don't know, maybe I just don't. Maybe I'm just not good at <laughs> looking at people in pictures. Like that could be me. But I would have hoped. No, I think I'm. I'm... I'm I'm with you. It doesn't appear to be. <laughs> yeah, and I just like uh, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. It just sucks when it's just like, <laughs> hey, let's have some diversity in our show, but not really. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh well, and it sucks that he's a boring character. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. So this this very fun episode <laughs> opens. See, if you were like listening to this and being like, they're so positive about Spider-Man Unlimited, it drives me crazy. I hate it. Hey, welcome to this episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's 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 uh, it's it's not even terrible. It's just not no. interesting. <laughs> it's really bland. It's a really yeah. bland one. I'm happy yeah. to just power through this one to be yeah. honest. Let's so, do like, it. <laughs> <laughs> This episode opens with a conversation between Sir Ram and the High Evolutionary in which they discuss the increasing interference and popularity of Spider-Man. One one thing I, I did like about this conversation is that – and this is kind of plays into like what the show has been setting up the entire time is that there is like – I like this this kind of interesting dynamic where like the High Evolutionary and the Knights like aren't that – they have a lot of other things to do and Spider-Man actually – isn't really their top priority. Like yeah. there's been multiple times when they've, when they've uh, encountered each other and the knights are just like, uh, we're busy by like, yeah. we're, we're, you can do your own thing. We're going to do our own thing. And I like that. They kind of call it out here where it's just like, Ooh, Ooh, maybe he's actually a problem. Like this is happening a lot guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are like little details like that, that do kind of flesh out, not flesh out, but expand that sort of role of the knights. Right. Like it's, it, we've seen a number of times where like two or three of the knights show up. Like I think last week, the knight showed up to that firefight except for Lady Vermin. And there was mm-hmm. an earlier episode where three of them showed up and Lord Tiger wasn't there. I like those little details, whether they're just a matter of like actor availability or how many episodes they were commissioned for. I don't know the reason behind it, but I like that they're not always there all the time because then you can kind of you can sort of like head canon that they're doing other things because they're yeah. they're important, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're busy, and you know, Spider Man is not the center of the universe in this show. Like, he's not yeah. meant to be. He's meant to be kind of an interloper in this situation, yeah. which is a really cool dynamic. Like, nobody's like Spider Man, my nemesis. Like, even Venom and Carnage like are just sort of doing their own thing. And, and I know they seem annoying to people. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's so funny. Venom and Carnage are a nuisance. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's right. Such a silly silly thing for them to be of all things. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. And 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 like yeah, like and even even they don't really seem to like pay Spider Man much mind until Spider Man is actually like around them, like yeah. messing with their plans. Like everybody's kind of doing their own thing, which is a is an is a weird dynamic for like a superhero show where the superhero isn't actually really in the center of everything, mm-hmm. but like forces himself to be in the center of everything. Yeah. yeah. But it does make this show kind of different. Except now, because all of that's shedded away, because well, now Spider-Man is the center of everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what because... I like about this conversation? What? High Evolutionary looks like he might be a bit of a bubba at this point in his life. I don't know if mm. you noticed. <laughs> mm. 
I could see that. Hard to say because he's doing the he's doing the flattering camera angles, but huh. I think there's uh, a bit of mass behind that man. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I mean, this isn't the 90s show where everyone's an Adonis. There are plenty mm-hmm. of like chonky people on this show, like in the background. So There are a number of chonks. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. That would be cool. That would be fun. Well, I, in this conversation, they're kind of worrying that he Spider-Man's interfering like a little bit too much. And actually, they have an interesting observation that he could end up being like a rallying figure to the human revolution, which I, is something that I'm sure Spider-Man is even like considering. But like we know, like you're the title character of the show. You're probably going to be a rallying figure. Right. In the human revolution. It's going to happen. Um, so I like that they call it. Wow. Up. Spider-Man was Katniss before Katniss was Katniss. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Man, this show makes so many, like, weird comparisons. (laughs) So many weird comparisons come out of it. (laughs) Yeah, Spider-Man is Katniss. Yeah, but, you know, the two are like, he might be a problem, so why don't we actually start focusing on getting him out of the picture? So later on, Sir Ram shares some footage kind of highlighting powers and abilities of Spider-Man. It's just, like, kind of your typical, like, warehouse fight. And he's showing this footage to a man simply called the Hunter. So Spider-Man is like at this warehouse uh, in this footage uh, confronting like a half dozen like weird looking bestial criminals. I'll have some comments about that later because there's like the diversity of bestials in this is off the oh, chain. Yeah. There's some like real monstrous ones in this scene, but then there's also like kind of some chonky lookers. I see you, Porcupine Man. Yeah, shirtless Porcupine Man. Uh-huh. This show does like rodents and rodent-like creatures very well so far because the badger oh, yeah. was a bit of a chunky boy. This mm-hmm. uh, this porcupine's a bit of a chunky boy. Mm-hmm. And then you have like Lady Vermin who's supposed to be a rat and she's like hot as fuck. She's so like, it's like mm-hmm. – yeah. yeah, very very flattering uh, rodent characters. <laughs> yeah, someone had a rodent fetish on this I show, guess I guess. Because so. other characters are not flattering. Like the fucking monkey who's just what like a naked fuck? monkey. Like a naked monkey with the longest, least appropriately length limbs. Yeah. He's like, it's like like they were like a spider monkey. Oh, it's a monkey that like literally is a spider. That's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. I was like, somebody was like, what would a spider monkey look like? And somebody else who has no idea what a spider monkey was, was like a monkey with really long legs. Yeah. Because he's not, it's not like he's a, he's a fusion. It's just like, he is just a naked monkey with super long, Uh thin limbs and a tail that is actually able to, like, wrap itself all around Spider-Man's arms. And, like, he almost has, like, Mr. Fantastic stretching powers, it feels like, sometimes. It does look like it. his body is all over the place. And there's also an octopus that's just, like, an entire octopus as someone's head. Yeah, their, their, <laughs> their sea life bestials are wild. Yeah. Absolutely wild. It's like, let's put the entire animal in the head spot, and the rest of the body will just be a humanoid body. Which I guess, like... To a degree, I suppose, makes sense because they would be a little bit harder to translate into a human form than mammals, which humans are a part of. You know, like, I get mm-hmm. it. But I don't know. It's it's wild, the solutions they come up with or it's the lack so of solutions that they come up with sometimes. Well, because it's, it's inconsistent. <laughs> like, I like I like the, the, the kind of, like, strange diversity sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I do. But the, it's- I really like it. 
Yeah, it's also very inconsistent, and like then it's sort of so it's sort of off putting when you see like some like characters that are like like there's a the whole thing where it's sort of like. I've I've seen it like on Twitter, like people will compare like here's a thing that was like made by furries, and here's a thing that was clearly not made by furries oh, yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. draw, f- trying to draw furries and appeal to furries, and like this show has like both. Yes, <laughs> it, it does because it has like Porcupine Man, and it has like the Knights of Wondergore, and then it also has like Spider Monkey and Octopus Person and right. like Angel Fish Head, where you're like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, whoa, yeah. And whoa, there's even whoa. more. There is even more oh, in yes. this episode. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, so, you know, it's it's a pretty typical Spider-Man fight yeah. um, surrounded by wooden crates, which, you know, we, we love our wooden crates in a yeah, Spider-Man show. we haven't seen those in a while or at all in this series. <laughs> this show's been pretty good about its uh, set design, a little more yeah. elaborate. But, yep, wooden crates are back. You know, it's showing off all of Spider-Man's abilities. So right. there's a brief spat between Sir Ram and the Hunter because Sir Ram is like a – stupid condescending like asshole mm. narcissistic personality my note for the scene was literally sir ram still sucks oh he sure does <laughs> uh but yeah so you know he's like takes offense and also offends the hunter at varying points and the hunter is just like hey i can like kill you really easily buddy so <laughs> and also you you came here for my help so like what are you doing sir ram you fucking idiot i love that that's his response you know, you know, I could just kill you right now, right? And Sir Ram's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, sir. And either way, the hunter is just like, yeah, sure, I'll kill Spider-Man. Why not? Mm-hmm. That's how we start off the episode. Cool. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So after we get the opening theme, because that's where it cuts to the opening theme, we open on Central Park, where a number of bestial couples appear to be on dates. We also see that there are signs on at least this part of the fence of Central Park that say no humans. I think we are to understand that this means Central Park is entirely off limits to humans. Otherwise, yeah. I don't know why they would do that. So, yeah, a yeah, bunch of bestials on, on on some dates. And I imagine these are some of the bestials that, uh, that you were uh, mentioning. But yep. moments ago. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many. There's so many of them, though. I so... Spoiler alert, the faces of the episode are just all the bestials. They have gonna, to be. Just going to do that. Um, so you'll see images of this on all of our social media, on, on our Instagram and Twitter. So there's like giraffe people that mm-hmm. are like super weirdly slender and like like just like almost like skeletal and like how skinny they are, but also yeah. very long and tall. There's like fawn people that are literally just like humans with horns. Yep. There's a horse guy, but it's Ugh. not like the full horse's snout. It's just like a flat face with a human nose. Like <laughs> almost like if they did like ho- like cats, like the movie <sighs> version of cats, but with horses and just transposed a human face on it, it would yeah. look like this guy. None of it's okay. Nope. None of it is okay. This episode ranges from like naked spider monkey to like, a lady with like a weird nose and kind of pointy ears, I guess. Like it's yeah. so it's so weird. It I wouldn't have a problem with the diversity of bestials if it weren't for the bestials that were so ridiculously humanoid. Like they're too humanoid in a way that makes it kind of weird, you know? Yeah, yeah. It 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 should have stayed away from the the sort of zone that splicing in Batman Beyond sort of exists in which is like we're humans and we've adopted some traits of animals but ultimately we are modified humans it needed to avoid that because these are not modified humans so to be too close to being a human enters like a weird space 
where it's like, no, 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 no. You should, you should still kind of be more animalistic, but just in a sort of human-like form. Uh, I think right. that's, that's where it gets weird. Cause you're like, no, but you were never, the sounds, the sounds in the context of this show sounds terrible, but you were never human. So you shouldn't be too close physically to a human. Right. Cause it makes the, it kind of muddies the whole thing. And like, you know, like the fawn people, I think were like kind of the bridge too far for me because, yeah, you know, obviously they just want to make a fawn, like a fawn looking person from like fantasy. Like I get that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is a subset of like furry culture that like they consider themselves furries, but are like more interested in like satyrs themselves. Right. Sure. It's like I kind of get like I get that. Like that's still all in the same world. But like for this show particularly, it's just like. You just look like people, like compared to the rest you, of them. You know what they look like? What? <laughs> they look like uh, Enter Halloween Party. I'm a deer. Duh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a cheap. Yeah, it's like kind of a cheap Halloween costume. And it's like, again, it's not a. It's not a big deal. Like in general, it's but in the context of the show, and especially yeah. this episode in particular, that at the beginning really hot tries to highlight the the tension between humans and bestials to have bestials that just look like humans like but like but adding like one extra appendage yeah. to them or something like that really makes it weird it also potentially depending on how this continues to carry out through the series it also potentially undermines what i'm assuming will be the message that bestials are generally just people because what they tend to do is they seem to make the more aggressive or more criminal-like bestials be the more animal-like ones and the sort of like more, quote, normal Ooh. human-like ones to be the least animal-like ones, which kind oh, of yeah. undermines the whole point of the bestials existing in the first place. Like, you can't only have the Halloween costume bestials being sort of like everyday people. It doesn't like you need uh, you need creepy spider monkey person to also be a normal person if you're going to do that. Oh, yeah. That's so weird. It like opens yeah. up a whole like weird can of worms where it's just like, yeah, in this context, is that like racist? Like it's it's very yeah. it's very strange. I mean, it, it, it's it's not unbelievable. Right. Like it's sort of like the mutant thing in, in the Marvel Universe where like the more visibly you are a mutant, the more hate you get. Sure. It's the whole reason the, what are they called? The Morlocks exist is like the human, like the mutants that can't live above ground because people like they'll never fit in versus like Cyclops can wear a pair of sunglasses type of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's possible. I just don't think that's what they're doing. <laughs> well, yeah, it's cause I mean, from a world building point of view, like it makes sense. Like, especially, yeah. you know, there's it, the high evolutionary is like been, has been doing these, you know, experiments for, for like decades and they've kind of evolved and they've created just, a, it's just like this like intense, like never before seen kind of diversity on a planet in yeah. between like kind of one species technically. Like I get that, but for the stories that they're trying to tell, it doesn't help any, it just kind of complicates anything. It's everything. Yeah. It doesn't really help anything um by having them be so some of them be so humanoid yeah it's it's uh it's weird if nothing else it's uh it's confusing to look at yeah yes definitely definitely so in this in the central park scene where where the bestials are on a on dates we see the hunter just sort of like pop out of a tree uh, <laughs> and and he releases this purple gas on one of the bestial couples and i think it's the giraffes isn't it and yeah. like the giraffes begin to rage. And then we see like a little montage of the hunter doing this to other bestials and then also to to humans. And all the bestials get mad and all the the people get mad. 
and uh, they just they get mad at each other because they yeah. they hate each other, so they're mad at each other. Yeah. It's very, <laughs> and spoiler alert: this this whole thing is going to go nowhere, like thematically yeah. or anything. Yep. <laughs> so very weird, uh, very weird start to this episode. But yeah, Sorry. so tensions are ramping up. However, nearby, Naoko and Peter are eating at this uh, Japanese food stand that is being served um, by a lizard bestial who, yes, is uh, played by my fiance. Um, I'm announcing it on this podcast that uh-huh. we are we did recently get engaged. Wow! Um, date has not been thank you. Date has not been set yet. I'm thinking probably like sometime next fall because I like fall weather, the changing of the leaves, and yeah. then we can maybe do like outdoor wedding with like with like reasonably nice weather. But, but like fall 2021. Because, oh yeah, fall 2021. You know, obviously, we got to get through hell now. first. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, yeah. It, it's fine. It's fine. We're, it's cool. It's cool. We would. We wanted to wanted to, to kind of postpone it a bit anyway to save up some money. So because yeah, uh, but uh, but you know, this Japanese food stand has taken off, so that's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, who? Uh, I love him so much. So I think that that's kind of cool. Is that like I know we brought up a couple of times like how well known Naoko is and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, this is someone that like knows her that like, she's like, apparently frequented his food stand. Yeah. And the simple fact that she is a human being served by a bestial who's like really chill and just having a conversation and kind of like assuming that, that, that she and Peter are dating and it's a whole like, like, Oh, he's not my boyfriend. He's my tenant. And he's like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool. Like, I love that. Friendly banter. Yeah, between human and bestial. Yeah, and I do, I mean, I wish the episode, like, did something with this, but the idea that this is in direct juxtaposition with, like, humans and bestials, like, having being tense around each other and, like, yeah. you know, humans not being allowed with the bestials and then we see them kind of fighting later. So, like, I feel like maybe when they were writing this or someone had the idea of this being like, oh, no, but, you know, normally if these things from like the higher class or from outside parties weren't kind of forcing these tensions, these people, like these two different types of people would be cool with each other. Like there would be no issue. It's, it's just like these outside forces, like the high evolutionary or the hunter, like causing the problems. Hmm. It's almost like the hunter could have been like an allegorical character to represent the external factors that are forcing these two groups to be aggressive towards one another, and then uh-huh. the ultimate resolution is realizing that the monster is the man and not the the populace. But whatever, I mean, that's just one take. Because there's more of that stuff that kind of comes up a little bit that you could argue, <laughs> but then it just goes nowhere and doesn't connect to anything. It's annoying. Yeah. There's, uh, it's, uh, man. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. <sighs> Yeah, it's really annoying, but this scene is pretty cool. This, this scene is cool though because um this this whole little like conversation does spark Naoko to to open up to Peter because it's sort of like, yeah, you're not my boyfriend, you're just my tenant. But <laughs> unfortunately, my husband uh or I, I, maybe ex-husband, I, Shane's father. Does she even say her husband or does she say I don't think we've ever had any sort of confirmation that they were married. Yeah, so she just says Shane's father, I guess. I think in the environment that the show takes place, that's totally reasonable. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, totally. I just, like, I would be interested if if it's, like, ex-husband. But I guess from the story, it seems like he just, like, leaves her, so they probably wouldn't have even gotten a divorce if they yeah. were married in the first place. Well, so, I just like, mean, like, do, like are, are human beings even, like, getting legally married? Like, does it matter? Right. <laughs> like, I, I think that that's a just, valid like, thing. fighting yeah. for your life every day, like, does the paper matter? <laughs> yeah, and also, like, you don't... 
need to get married to have a kid together anyway. So like, right. yeah, <laughs> very progressive of this show, actually. Yeah. Either way, Shane's father, he does know that Peter is living there and she describes him as jealous and reveals to him something that we already know from past episodes that he actually has been kind of calling the clinic uh, about uh, Peter living there. Um, you know, Peter, of course, uh, being like a good person, kind of jumps to like, are you being threatened? Like, is this a dangerous situation? And she kind of uh, shoots him down like immediately. Like, no, no, it's nothing like that. You know, he's just, he's jealous. And I feel like you should know. Still like, you know, still a little bit creepy, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I do actually like the the dynamic that this show is communicating is that he's jealous and he's calling her, but he's not threatening her. It's 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 just a weird thing, and he's probably being a little aggressive, but like he still is coming from a place of like, I guess, caring for Shane and caring for her, and so it's not like being directed at her specifically like that's that's it would have been so easy for them to just be like get him out or i'll kill you (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like that they're kind of playing with that ambiguity because that's i mean it's that's so much more more realistic it's not necessarily always going i mean it happens that people can be like shitty and aggressive and threatening but it's more it's more common and you know probably unfortunately isn't always treated appropriately to have people kind of fall into that middle ground where it is like the jealous ex who maybe they aren't doing things that are overtly threatening and they're overtly jealous or are overtly dangerous. But the fact that they are still like being kind of aggressive is still not great. And it's still a thing that could be like damaging to your psyche and damaging to your future relationships. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she is letting Peter in on this is both very responsible. And also like, I honestly think it's kind of a, kind of a good lesson for like the kids that would be watching it because it's sort of like, yeah, you, shouldn't just keep something like this a secret. Even if you don't feel like it's a big deal, it might still be a big deal and it could also affect other people. And you should tell people when there's something in your life that you're kind of worried about, you know? Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, this is where we get the backstory bit about Shane's father. Uh, Naoko shares that she and Shane's father, who she calls Hector, became separated and this is how. Uh, Hector was an inventor, but the company that he was working for went under. And when this happened, he became increasingly depressed and dejected. When that happened, Hector suddenly started working on a secret project that he wouldn't tell uh, Naoko or Shane about. She had no idea what he was working on. He started spending time with the human revolution, huh? And began distancing himself entirely from Naoko and Shane. He did ultimately leave them. And she says that he claimed it was for their own protection. So it wasn't even necessarily like they had a big blow-up fight, even though we do know that they fought at times. Um, It wasn't that there was any sort of, like, flashbang inciting moment. Um, It has something to do with his involvement with whatever he was getting thick into, and he was concerned Mm -hmm. for the two of them. So he doesn't hate them. They don't necessarily hate him. But he he did sort of abandon abandon his family uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, he is also wearing green in pretty much every like every costume change that he has. At least some element of green in his costume, which you know a lot of people wear green on the show. But 
could also be a clue to who he maybe really is. And also he's in his boxers at one point, which also could be a clue to who he really is. So indeed. Yes. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they've been laying different clues along different kind of paths uh, throughout these episodes. We saw little bits and pieces of, goblin caring for these characters we saw little bits and pieces of that shadow figure caring uh for them and and calling them we see now that this hector person is probably that person that was calling them in the shadows uh we have speculated whether or not goblin is somehow also connected or one in the same we have no idea but they've been doing this thing that we've talked about along the way that they drop these little hints and pieces that you're supposed to pick up along the way and sort of collect. So I like that this is yet another instance of that and a a different instance of that than last week, which was more of a a John clue that we're supposed to pick up. So multiple different things they're dropping clues along the way for. I like that. I like that. You know, and it doesn't have really coming, come back into this episode at all. It doesn't really have anything to do with this particular episode, um, but it's just part of their kind of ongoing story with it that they're telling, which Mm -hmm. I like. Yes. Yes. They're handling that well. So Naoko does reiterate that she does not feel threatened, right? It is, that is not why she's bringing it up. But continuing to live at the clinic could potentially be dangerous for Peter, since Peter's the one that Hector is upset about. Uh, momentarily, he does worry that she is evicting him as a result of this, because I think she says it might be safer to find a new place to live. Uh, but she says, no, 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 no. I'm, I don't want you to leave. I'm not evicting you. I just think it's the right thing to tell you so that if you think that that is safer you can make that decision for yourself which i think is is nice and yeah kind of a cool cool bit of that conversation as they're having this conversation though this this like really important deep conversation tensions in the park rise and so peter's like you know what let's get out of here because we don't really need to be a part of this and Naoko's like no 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 i do need to be a part of this because if they're gonna fight i'm a doctor and i can help them if people are injured they might need me um, and then she has this comment where she's like, but you don't need to stick around. You can leave. And Peter's like, well, wait, hold up a sec. Like, I'm a photographer for the Daily Bite. I could get pictures of this and and maybe sell them. And she she's like, is that is that really it? Like, you're just trying to sell, sell the news? <laughs> and he kind of shuts her down, though, because he's like, well, I got to make rent. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, well, that left more complicated than it could have. <laughs> you're right. She's trying right. to, like, make a commentary on him selling, like, and exploiting these events, and he's kind of coming back and being like, I also have to make a living. And you're just sort of like, hmm, that is complicated, is it not? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So what this results in is him being like, okay, well, I'm going to go get my camera, BRB, and he suits up as Spider-Man. That he does. Spooderman. Spooderman. So uh, when the humans enter the park and approach the bestials, Spider-Man intervenes. And attempts to talk down the clashing groups. You know, so that neutral party that is Spider-Man. Always <laughs> always the conflict resoluter. Yeah, the conflict resolutor. I think Absolutely. conflict resolution Spider-Man is my least favorite Spider-Man. I'm just gonna say it. Because <sighs> it's <laughs> like maybe it's just this show that's making me say that, but every time he gets in the middle of two parties, I'm like, here we go again. <laughs> uh, well, because he never really does it. He never really he never really resolves conflicts in a clever way because it's just not – it's not really Spider-Man's forte, right? Because he sort of like yeah. shows up and it's just like, here's some general common sense thing that you already know 
<laughs> and usually no one listens to him and it doesn't work most of the time. Like yeah. it doesn't, it usually doesn't really go anywhere and we haven't really seen him like grow in these skills as a leader or anything. And I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, the show is kind of pointing out that he could be a rallying force for the re- human revolution or whatever, but like, it doesn't seem like the show has been trying to build him up as a leadership character. He just kind of shows up, tries to stop people from fighting each other and then usually fails at it. And that's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yep. Um, it's just not very interesting. Case in point, um, when they question him, I think a tiger guy is like, who asked you to interfere, wannabe man? I don't get that uh, at all. Um, maybe they think he's a bestial. Oh, maybe. I guess that's possible. Yeah, because it's, it's a bestial that says it. It's it's a, I mean, yeah, I guess that, that, that makes sense. It's still not like very quippy, but no. anyway. Uh, Although, I mean, not that we need to dig into all of them because we didn't really talk about it last week. But I will say the quips in this episode and last week's episode were a market improvement over episodes three yes. and four. <laughs> yeah, they still they're not they're not going back to the to the, like the historical or classical reference well that they did the first two episodes. Um, unfortunately, but they are a bit but, more reminiscent of like what you expect from yeah. a Spider-Man. Uh, at least like its immediate predecessor of the 90s show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He makes like you know funny, funny, sarcastic quips, funny names that he gives to people. Yeah. I think he references Martha Stewart in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, they are, they are market improvement. I totally agree. But uh, yeah, so while this kind of uh, clash is continuing to go on, uh, the hunter uses his purple gas on an individual human who was just kind of on the sidelines. And then he like whispers into his ear to attack Spider-Man. So like, I guess that this gas doesn't just make them aggressive, but also makes them like, uh, I don't know, like uh, makes like, God, what's the words I'm trying to say? Make them susceptible. It makes them susceptible to suggestion. Like, suggestion. Yeah, exactly. So he goes and like grabs a wooden sign that says no human on it. Attempts to throw it at Spider-Man, uh, but, you know, Spidey, of course, dodges it. It hits a bestial instead, which sparks a whole riot to happen because they see it as a sign of aggression. So there's an entire, like, battle happening in the park now. Thanks. Good job with your uh, conflict resolution, Spider-Man. Really helped everything. He does recognize, however, and correctly, that the aggression seems, like, way over the top and, like, doesn't really, like, kind of make sense. So he's just trying to kind of prevent as much damage happening as possible. And then, like, kind of out of nowhere, Karen just shows up, and she's just like, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Karen. <laughs> yeah. She shows up, and, and Spider-Man even makes a comment, like, it's kind of strange that you're just, like, out and about, especially in, like, such a public place, because the revolutionaries do try to operate either in secret or with some strategy about, like, being avoided by detection of some kind so he makes this comment and she does kind of give a throwaway line to be like well i am testing out like a new way of dampening my tracker okay fine whatever still doesn't really explain like why karen just like happens to be around i guess because she heard that people were fighting because she says seeing humans getting beat up on is like enough reason for her to to go out in public, I guess, which is also like mildly contradictory to her testing out her dampening, whatever. She's there to defend the humans explicitly. That's the more important part of the conversation. Yeah. She's also there so she can get noticed and get kidnapped later. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Not untrue. <laughs> as far as the conversation goes, that line is important because Spider-Man kind of clocks her for it. And is like, I hate when anyone's getting beaten up on, not just humans. So I you like, can like that. Yeah, yeah, you can take a little note and be like, okay, that's another example of Karen firmly siding with the humans. So she's not 
She's not like peace loving. She might be like the calming person for John or for Bromley or for revolutionaries when it's convenient, but she is still firmly anti bestial. So, yeah. Still doesn't mean she has a personality, but it at least gives it sort of like helps you place her. Yeah. Maybe. I, I, I do like the line for Spider Man because I do think that that's the kind of. If they're looking for, like, how to fit Spider-Man into this world and, like, the conflict resolution thing, they're trying to kind of force him into it. I do think that this perspective that he has, I think that that's a really important one. I think that's the thing that works for him being kind of a kind of like an interloper in this world because yeah. he's sort of not not having been super, like, entrenched into into like the tensions that have existed for decades and apparent and you know unlike john like not having been like totally traumatized as soon as he got there it seems like like he's really the only person who can be sort of in this almost objective role of being like no maybe like don't hurt any like all mm-hmm. these are all people let's not hurt anybody let's try right. to let's try to be good to everybody um and i like that about him because that that gives him a lot of value in this in the world of this show yeah yep yep it affirms what they're trying to do or the the situations they put him in so i can appreciate that that's that's yeah yeah and it's something they could have highlighted more in this episode but yeah we'll we'll keep bringing that up probably yeah well i mean (sighs) it's out there we've already (laughs) we don't like this episode okay yeah 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 this this fight sequence too it also kind of reminds me sometimes of like the action on amazing friends a little bit like it's that level of slow sometimes yeah. where like they'll try to do some kind of complicated stuff and then it takes a really long time for anything to happen like um like yeah like oh oh yeah with a uh, naoko getting the bench thrown at her like she's she's in the midst of all this trying to like help people as a doctor which is cool i like that yeah and then there's a scene where, like, a bestial or whoever, like, lifts up a bench and, like, throws it at her while she's helping someone. But, like, it takes such a long time where, like, you see the bench getting thrown and it's in the air. And then Naoko looks and the bench is being thrown. And then she, like, slowly reacts but doesn't move. And the bench is still being thrown. And Spider-Man's like, Naoko, look out. And she's still looking at the bench while it's being thrown. And then yeah. eventually he webs it away from her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, the okay, yes, the show does not feel like it has progressed significantly over the course of the five years or whatever that spider-man sort of was on the air in the 90s so it's like slower than you would like it to be and it is slower than other shows at the time and i don't really know why that is normally i don't mind because the stuff that's happening is interesting uh it's just sort of a detriment that the things that are going on aren't interesting so then you're like all right well what do i focus on I guess I focus on this really slow piece of action. (laughs) Yeah. So it all kind of like piles up together where you're like, if the action was at least cool, I could be into it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because there was some really terrible action in the Goblin stuff. But like, I remember even saying like, I don't really care that much because the stuff that's interesting is so juicy, you know? Yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, oh, one other quick thing of note. So I'm piling a bunch of stuff in this scene, but like the rest of the episode, I don't think I actually have that much to say about most of the things. <laughs> um, this is going like, to be our longest episode ever. <laughs> oh, God. Um, it, it might be. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> you can never tell with this show sometimes. There's a there's like an ape guy with like a funny hat that just like shows up in, I think, if not every episode, then almost every episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely does. He's the John yeah. Ratzenberger of the show. Yes. Like, he's usually in a car that Spidey lands on and he freaks out, which is yeah. funny. And then this time he just happens to be in the park while this was going on. He's just like, oh, no. 
just thought I'd point that out because I don't think that's been pointed out yet. No, it, it, it hasn't. But it, he's focused on in this scene because he's like one of the main faces you see when the effects of the gas eventually wear off because mm-hmm. they do just wear off on their own. Like there's nothing that triggers them to stop fighting. They're not instructed to stop fighting. They just fight for however long the gas is, is affecting them. And then they're all just sort of like, huh? And then they're confused and they all just kind of go back to their business. Meaning they were never really all that aggressive towards each other in the first place. Yeah. Which, of course, affirms Spider-Man's suspicion that something was weird. Something was not right with that fight. So, I mean, like, that, they just kind of go back to whatever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, yeah, his, his is one of the faces that was on the screen for sure. Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to give a special thank you to our spectacular and up patrons... Gemma Nicole and Katie. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider Bite mini episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30, where... If you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Thank you. Thanks. After after things sort of like cool off, Karen uh, shares that someone has put a bounty on Spider-Man's head, which I guess is also a reason she shows up. <laughs> just oh, like, God. I forgot about that. Not in universe, but just like someone needs to let Spider-Man know. Yeah. Karen. <laughs> yep. What else is she going to do? I know, I know. Well, everything, you know. So uh, <laughs> so she, she, she tells Spider-Man that there is a bounty on his head. Um, and he's like, well, that... That sucks, but uh, okay. Thanks for letting me know. He checks in with Naoko, who's like, "I'm, I'm like, I'm doing stuff, but I don't have enough stuff to do it. So need some bandages, need some medical stuff." And Spider-Man's like, "I'll go get it for you." Uh, so he actually flips off away from the scene to stop at the clinic to get stuff for her. The hunter, however, is still there despite the gas wearing off, and he's basically just like taking notes on all these interactions. So he sees that Karen is talking to Spider-Man and that he's receptive to her. He sees that Spider-Man checks in with Naoko and, uh, and that that relationship is good, and he basically says, aha, this is how I can get to Spider-Man. Through the women! Yep, yep. Although luckily, luckily, this isn't a tablet of time situation. He he decides to only capture one of them. <laughs> and these are established characters. One of them might not have a yes. personality, but they are not introduced into the series for the sole purpose of being uh, <laughs> kidnapped. Good point. And, you know, and, and I actually I like it's like uh, Hunter's kind of um, rationale with it because he's sort of like, OK, he's clearly smitten with Naoko. 
Um, but the other person, Karen, is like his comrade, who's actually he clearly cares about, but he's also fighting with, which means that she's probably yeah. more likely like she's probably a person that's even like he's going to fight even harder for and be weaker without because that's like one less asset that he has. So, yeah, I like that he at least like makes the choice. I'm actually kind of surprised that he didn't kidnap both of them, but I'm glad that he didn't do that because that would have been even messier. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> So we cut to the revolutionaries base later that night where Spider-Man and Karen have met up to basically talk about the hunter. So Karen gives him the brief. She says he's seemingly superhuman. He has abilities that most humans do not have. He's a mercenary who has worked for the high evolutionary before, which certainly means they don't trust him despite him being a human. He's one of the very few humans who is allowed to live topside uh, because he lives in like a big skyscraper uh, above the basement and all the like grody pollution trash environment that, that most humans live in. And that even though he is paid to hunt, he chooses his jobs for the enjoyment. Uh, like we said earlier, Craven enjoys hunting. Uh, this hunter also enjoys hunting, which makes him especially dangerous because he's not just fulfilling a job. He's fulfilling his own desires. Yes, 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 yes. And Karen clarifies that it's the reason that he, uh, that Spidey probably has a bounty on his head is because of his emerging profile in the city, like being in newspapers and showing up during all these, all these, uh, tense events. So it's difficult to, like, ultimately determine whether the hunter is pursuing him for sport or for pay. Probably doesn't really matter because he wants, he is, yeah. would be good at killing him anyway. <laughs> yeah. Weird throwaway line. It's not really that confusing, especially to us. Yeah. And not even really to the characters in the show because she explicitly said that there's a bounty on Spider-Man's head. So whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Spider-Man is like, yo, there's somebody hunting me. I should probably like do something about that. So he web slings around the city, but stops and is like, what exactly am I doing about this? I'm just kind of like meandering about and says to himself, like, I can't just like wait around and get shot at. That's not a good idea. And then it gets shot at. <laughs> cool. So I guess it worked, <laughs> which he comments on. It's not, I mean, like it's, it's meant to be a funny moment. Um, <laughs> and like, I get it, but whatever it's, it is what it yeah. is. <laughs> you you got to like take the light moments of comedy when they happen, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. So the thing that he is getting shot by, he realizes is a dart and he, I don't know, sniffs the dart. He it's, does. He sniffs it. Like, I don't, maybe his, maybe his suit has like yes. olfactory sensors. Yes. So smell poison because he immediately recognizes <laughs> that the dart is like poison. That's exactly what I was thinking. When I first saw it, I was like, why is he smelling for poison? And I was like, well, I guess his suit is like a nanotech suit and he could just like, I guess program it to do analysis like like supplemental analysis when he smells something but it's like <laughs> such a funny thing that you would like still smell it you know what I mean as opposed yeah. to like scan it or whatever but right. I guess like if you know that that well no I don't know why that would be your reaction in the first place God's going to say like if you know that smelling things is a way that you might identify something then enhance that but I I still don't know why you would <laughs> smell that. a dart <laughs> You wouldn't do that anyway. Yeah, it's right. so funny. It's like smelling it's a so bullet. Funny. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> mm, smells like gunpowder. Ah, Someone yes. shot this bullet. It must have come from a gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, he sniffs this dart and then the hunter actually, like, reveals himself. Hunter's also, like, barefoot all the time, by the way, which is an interesting choice. I'm fine with that. 
Yeah, it's, it works. It's just, yeah. you know, it's a choice. <laughs> it's not great for the environment, which kind of like goes against how you would expect the hunter to operate. But, you know, if you're going to have somebody who's just like this weird superhuman hunter, like I can get behind the aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they clash on the rooftop and uh, the hunter does capture Spider-Man pretty quickly uh, in a makeshift web built on a radio tower. Spidey is able to kind of like free himself by taking down the entire radio tower. I like this. <laughs> I actually really like this moment because Spider-Man makes a comment about like webbing is my thing. And I don't remember exactly what Hunter says, but he basically says like you have to know your enemy to defeat them. And they don't really give any indication that Spider-Man is going to escape from what's happening. Like I kind of expected Craven to then bring spider-man in or i just called him craven oh shoot i you know the hunter whatever to bring spider-man into his his like lair or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, so i was actually caught off guard when spider-man was like here's the thing about that you know like here's the thing about traps he kind of out hunts the hunter in this moment which is a little weird because it's early for that but i i I appreciate it nonetheless i do too because he's making a good point yeah i think it works a trap. He, I, what does he say? A trap is only as good as what it's built upon. Yeah, 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 or something like that. Yes, yeah. which I, I, I like too, and that's the sort of you know cleverness that I'm cool with, and it's sort of kind of showcasing how strong Spider-Man actually is too. So, which I do cool. always love. Yeah, he's a strong boy. He's a, he's a, he's a strong, strong boy. man boy. <laughs> <laughs> he does ask the hunter who he's working for, and the hunter explicitly saying like, "I'm a professional." Refuses to say that, obviously, but that kind of does confirm that he is working for somebody, which, again, we kind of already knew, whatever, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting any sort of information, they just continue to clash. Uh, cool. Interesting detail about this. Spider-Man does try to web the hunter, uh, as you would expect, but the hunter has some sort of, as he describes it, like chemical block that dissolves the web off of his body. So Spider-Man hits his bare body, and as we are to understand it, the hunter has covered himself with something (laughs) that dissolves the web. He even says, I analyzed your web. So like Mm -hmm. these are moments that I think actually kind of fit into the environment. If you're going to make a a counter version of Kraven, have him do things that are a bit more sci-fi, Sure. Then they are like big game hunting. And this is like one of the very, very few examples, if maybe the only one, where you're kind of like, oh, that's kind of a cool futuristic thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also fits in the the other thing that does kind of make him a little bit different from from like the Cra- Craven the Hunter is that he doesn't really have any regard for his his own life, really, like or his own body. Like he wants to be the best. Yeah. But he's like we find out later that he's like happy to like poison himself mm-hmm. uh, to be the best. And you know, so like I'm sure that this isn't a healthy chemical if it corrodes webbing like instantaneously. Yep. Probably not a healthy thing to like put on your skin yep. or inject into your bloodstream or whatever you do. Right. So, but so it fits into like his whole thing, and and and, and that that is the one kind of interesting element to him that's uh, the the small glimmer of light for this counter craven if you can't do or won't do craven the hunter you have to give him something that's interesting and that's interesting i wish that had been the big like i wish there had been two big pieces one i already mentioned which is that treat the hunter like a smaller example of quote the man that is pitting these two sides against each other Mm -hmm. the other thing would be to really drive home the fact that this is a man so obsessed with the hunt 
that he's destroying his own body in order to get the biggest game possible. That would have yeah. been really interesting and intriguing to me. Cause like you said, Craven does have mad respect for his own body. His body's a temple to himself. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he takes care of it and treats it. Well, this would completely flip that on its head in the same way that making goblin a hero flips goblin on its head. So yeah, I like that element of it. Wish there had been more of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really end up. Well, we'll get to that when we get to the end yeah. episode. Cause there's going to be a, a, quite a bit to talk about with that. I think, um, uh, Spidey uses his invisibility again, which is fun. He tries to use it to kind of, uh, bide time and create a strategy, but as we know, it heats up his suit and the hunter even comments on that. Cause he's able to see him on infrared. Like, Oh, you're running a little hot, mm-hmm. aren't you Spidey? Good continuity detail. I love it. Yes. Very good. Um, so Spidey, that doesn't work. So he attempts to escape into a busy street by kind of like hopping into an alley and then taking his suit off and then blending in as Peter Parker. Instead, when he <laughs> emerges from the alley, he just like stands there and stares at the hunter. <laughs> wow. I know that that's not what it was like on paper. Right. That was just like the weird animation. But it is kind of funny to think like I'm blending in as I stare at the man that was just chasing me and not <laughs> moving anywhere. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter because what could have been a really cool thing about this episode is that the hunter uh, like used some kind of like a pheromone tracer type thing yeah. or like pheromone detector. Either way, he has his own like special sensor on Spider-Man that Spider-Man doesn't know he has so he is able to spot Peter immediately so he knows exactly what he looks like doesn't know his secret identity technically because he doesn't know who Peter Parker is but he knows what he looks like which uh you know, that's important knowledge to have. And that's the first time anyone on this show has discovered his identity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's enough for, for the hunter to be like, all right, I have pretty much what I need. And he, he backs off. Yes, he does. So shortly after this happens, Karen, and this is, this is a teeny tiny itty bitty scene <laughs> and tells us where, uh, gosh, I keep wanting to say Craven. It's so ingrained. <laughs> Tells us where the hunter went because we see Karen walking through an alley and then we see Karen abducted by the hunter. And that's all there is of that scene. It's <laughs> just very, very quick. Yep. The aftermath of that is basically Spider-Man popping into the revolutionary's base and learning from John Jameson, who was communicating with Karen while she, when she was abducted, telling Spider-Man like, yo, she was abducted. So that sucks. He also says, hey, we found this at the scene of the crime, and Spider-Man looks at it, and it's one of the darts that was shot at him in the first place. So he's like, I know who did this. Okay. (laughs) He probably knew who it was in the first place, but whatever. So he vows to (laughs) to confront the hunter and to get Karen back. Yes, he does. So he knows where the hunter lives, obviously, so he shows up at the penthouse lair. And, you know, as you'd expect, it's a it's a hunter dude. So there's a tons of ton of booby traps that he has to dodge. But there is also a hologram message from the hunter. He reveals two things. First, that the hunter is aware of Spider-Man's unmasked visage. And then Spider-Man's like, Peter Parker, who is that? And the hunter's just like, <laughs> well, I didn't know what your name was. Uh, I do now. I still don't really care. I'm just I'm just telling you that I know what your face looks like, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so good job, Peter. <laughs> I love that. I love that Peter's like, what, is, uh, what does Peter have to do with this? And Craven's like, who? Who cares? Like, moving on. <laughs> the other thing he reveals is that the hunter has Craven. Or, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. The, hun- <laughs> the hunter, excuse me, the hunter has Karen, which, big surprise. <laughs> right. Yeah. We knew that. We knew that. Come on. We knew that. 
So Spider-Man proceeds through the Hunter's sort of jungle-like lair, which is another thing I like. Uh, It's not necessarily... This is weird, and it might sound contradictory. I like this because it does feel like it pays homage to Kraven, not just any particular version of Kraven, but versions of Kraven we've seen. Kind of harkens back a little bit to the Amazing Friends version of Kraven, who has mm-hmm. like a whole jungle built into his lair. Um, but just like <laughs> the, and a little bit of the 90s one where he has like traps and stuff. But um, this feels like a Kraven like thing without being a Kraven specific thing. So it's that felt more like an homage as opposed to just like unoriginality even though it's probably on originality because most things in this aren't original, but whatever. Um, I still liked it. I thought it was fun. So <laughs> yeah. he he goes through this little jungle-like lair, avoiding all kinds of booby traps. They're all ridiculous, just as just as ridiculous as any of the Craven booby traps we've seen in the past. Sure. Whatever. We've come to expect that from uh, Craven, so why not the Hunter? Uh, Would have been cool to see things that were a little bit more sci-fi to fit into this uh, environment, but whatever. It's all ridiculous nonetheless. And he ends up finding an air duct. Uh, He travels through this air duct into a cell that Karen is in, which is uh, believable enough. I mean, plenty of characters do that and plenty of properties, so why not? The two of them travel through that same air duct into a laboratory, uh, and this laboratory is full of all kinds of plants and chemicals and weird stuff that Spider-Man recognizes as elements the hunter is using to enhance his physical attributes and karen's like whoa that's wild and spider-man's like yeah but they might be making him stronger and faster and more alert but they're also drastically decreasing his lifespan so he's literally killing himself in order to do the things that he is able to do which is the single most interesting thing about this hunter it's so good it's so good it goes into detail. He goes into detail about it. He says it like ruins your kidneys. Yeah. I think it ruins your liver and then mm-hmm. it like poisons your bone marrow. Yeah. So like this dude's probably like on dialysis. He's probably like getting bone marrow transplants and stuff. Like it's it's wild that I mean the fact that it is just like a medical thing. It's not like you will die when you turn 50. It's like no, it sounds like he's always slowly dying and he just has to spend yeah. all of his free time like taking care of himself <laughs> to not die sooner, I guess. Yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit like bane like where it's like hmm. the price that 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 you're paying to to do the things you can do has such a high cost if things go wrong. But in this case, there's no, like, if things go wrong. It's, like, 100% things are going to go wrong. Yeah. Like, it's wild. It's wild. It's really – that's it's such a cool thing. I was really pleasantly surprised when I saw that. Yeah. And I was so disappointed that it, like, doesn't come back after the big reveal. I know. It doesn't play into anything. And it's just, like – it's – there's, like, two kind of different – potential themes that could be coming out of this episode that are both really, really good might not have worked together in one episode, but if if one or the other was actually like appropriately played out, would have been really good. You have this sort of like the fact that the tension between humans and bestials are manufactured. And then you have the hunter is sort of like this interesting figure where he is a human that is like, playing on the bestial side, kind of exposing the hypocrisy of of the tension existing in the first place. And then you also have the other the other thing where you have the other kind of unrelated theme, but that could have also been really interesting to see explored, which is that a human who is so 
almost like so desperate to not be human that like he's killing himself to like just live a fun cool life <laughs> yeah. not being a typical human you know i think you could connect the two if you wanted to i I, yeah. I, I haven't quite exactly drawn the threads together but i think the idea especially if this wasn't all plant-based if more of this was based on actual like human or not human if this was if this was based on actual like animal this might be a little too dark for the show but if there was some sort of like animal element to it as well which was literally making him a bridge between humans and bestials mm-hmm. right you have this character that's neither totally human nor totally bestial pitting the two against each other which makes him both and neither at the same time which is a weird contrast to and and complement to the fact that the reality of this world is probably the fact that humans and bestials aren't different to begin with yeah so I, I think you could, I mean, I, that was a messy way of me presenting it, but I think there's something to the idea that he is both and nothing and that the the bestials and humans have been trained to believe that they are different from one another, but ultimately we are slowly realizing that they are not. So yes. I think you have something, you have something there. I admit to not necessarily knowing exactly how the pieces fit, but I know there's something there. You um, also have a parallel with... Spider-Man because Spider-Man also is sort of a weird yes. bridge between human and bestial because no one no one knows if he's human or bestial and he is a human with animal powers so yeah. He himself, like, there's an easy parallel that you could connect with Craven there. And Especially I would say if that- there's that moment where the hunter is like, you and me aren't that different. You know, like, you and me could do this together or whatever. Like, I don't know how that would fit into any sort of plot, but like, you, if you, there are ways you could draw the parallel, right? The ways yeah. to highlight the fact that f- it's weird because what you're doing is you're highlighting the fact that they are different from the population that the hunter is pitting against one another. And that ultimately should result in the moral, which is that those two sides are not different at all. Yeah. Like there is a way to craft that and weave that uh, where all those, they, the, all those dominoes fall together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. All the pieces are kind of there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what happened with this one. <laughs> Cause I, The turn that it takes in the end just is just like baffling to me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's well, I, well, I think what happened with this one is I suspect that they, they had a list of characters they wanted to make counters for. They probably thought of Craven the hunter as a perfect choice for a world where humans and beasts live among each other. Never really developed that idea. Uh, made a story without developing that idea. And then on top of that, ended up with the the structural and pacing issue that they have had with so many of these episodes, which is a really rushed ending. Yes. This ending is way, way, way too fast and is not satisfying for an episode that is already not that satisfying, uh, which is so frustrating because we know this is a ch- – if this were a reality competition, Spider-Man <laughs> Unlimited, you would be in the hot seat for not listening. Like, this has been a problem for you all season long. <sighs> and y- yeah. y- y- for us, for you and me, for Derek and Doug, the show is skating by on the fact that it has really interesting themes and really interesting elements. But if this continues to be a problem, we're not going to get over it. <laughs> yeah. Figure your pacing out. You can't rush the end of every episode. Right, right, right. And especially 
when the ending that you are rushing doesn't really have any like thematic connection to the story that you were telling the entire right. time. Either. Right. Right. This is highlighting the problem more than some of the other ones do, I think, because it was yeah. such a weak episode to begin with. Yes. 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 Uh, we don't really don't actually have that much left. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Well, we could, we could blast through it because not that much happens, right? Yeah. So as Spider-Man is describing these effects to Karen, the hunter enters the lab and basically says, it's worth it. The two of them make their way back into that jungly part of the lair and they get set to sort of like clash. But Spider-Man goes invisible. This is actually interesting. I don't know if I like it or don't like it, but I do think it's interesting. Something to think about. Not really sure where I stand. So Spider-Man goes invisible. Hunter is like, oh, dude, that's not going to work. Spots him very quickly in some nearby foliage, kind of like in the shadows. But again, for the hunter, not in the shadows, infrared, whatever. But when he moves to confront Spider-Man, who he's looking directly at, Peter Parker, quote, falls out of a tree nearby right behind the hunter, which, wow, so confusing. How could Spider-Man and Peter Parker be in the same place when the hunter identified them as the same person? Okay, interesting. I haven't given it a whole lot of thought because there's so many other things in this episode that I, I would rather focus on workshopping. This, I think, in an episode that wasn't sort of messy and weird and and underachieving wouldn't bother me at all. I might actually praise it and say that's kind of cute and like kind of interesting as a concept. Don't know that it works for a Craven counter. I might've worked for a Craven counter if this were, if this, if this hunter were entirely reliant on sci-fi body modification, I could see it working. If he uses more tools than a traditional Craven does, if he's mm. not actually a tracker but fancies himself one, then mm. I think this this trick is pulled off without a hitch, right? So that's where I'm not sure whether I – I don't know if I inherently don't like it or if I just simply don't like it because this episode wasn't put together well enough for it to work. I, uh, I have one thing to say about yeah. this. I, I think my issue with it isn't it, – it's kind of unfair to the events of itself because – I keep thinking about how there's a, it's it's really cool that you have a villain that discovers Peter Parker's identity, which is a thing that is really hard to undo. You also set up that this is a villain who is literally killing himself with his superpowers by like cutting his life in half and like poisoning himself constantly. Yeah. And I think that there's I know that this might be too dark for this show, and especially if they want him to be a recurring villain, they wouldn't be able to do this. But I think in a perfect version of this episode, I think it would be a very poignant ending that would solve that problem if he overexerts himself in the battle with Spider-Man dies because he's already been poisoning himself. And I think this is a way you can kind of do that poetically where he dies and Spider-Man's secret identity dies with him. And I think that that probably would have been the best way to resolve that like slowly killing himself part of his character yeah i i don't disagree with you i think that is the natural conclusion to that element of the character it just doesn't seem like they were ever really planning on focusing on that element it felt like a bullet point on his character is like characterization not yeah. an actual element of the story which it is, just would have been such a perfect way to utilize oh, yeah. that and solve their other problem that they had and it's just like such an easy writing choice and again i know kids kids show maybe not necessarily would have been allowed to do that I don't think you have to kill him if you if you want to if you if you have to follow that rule. Right. Because we've seen and, and, you know, I I, 
I feel like lately, especially I've been comparing the show to other things, but I think we've kind of been doing that all the way, like all along. But if you think of a character like Bane, who I mentioned, like just a bit ago, there are moments where, where Bane's tubes get pulled out and it's actually kind of horrifying. Like what happens Mm -hmm. to him? He doesn't die, but I think in this case you could do something where he overexerts himself. He doesn't die, but he ends up in pretty much a vegetative state. Right. Oh, and yeah, I think, yeah, you, I totally. think you could you could pull that off in a kid's show uh, or he ends up, quote, going crazy or whatever, which in 1999, they would have had no trouble doing and had no <laughs> qualms about. You know what I mean? Like, I think uh-huh. there are ways to do that. I just think considering the fact that they clearly didn't seem to care that that was the most interesting element of this this episode which is wild to me that they didn't think that was the most interesting part of this episode. Yep. It's 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 so weird. It's it's frustrating because their characterization of the hunter is so weak that both you and I have basically created our own more interesting versions of it and now <laughs> yeah. what we're doing is we're like running up against each other's own more interesting character characterizations of it, right? Yep. So like I think like what you're saying makes perfect sense and I I cannot argue with it. Uh, it's just it's the way I was filling it in. I was like, okay, how do I justify this move being cool? So it's yeah. There's just so much rationalization and so much justification that has to go into finding something to enjoy about this episode that it's 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 got us in like wildly different places, which just goes to show like how <sighs> wanting we are from this episode. Yep. <laughs> yep. An episode Ugh. should not rely this much on us of filling in blanks that should have never been there in the first place. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Especially when you have so much going for you. Like, I cannot stress that yeah. enough. Like, you know, like you were joking, like, oh, people are going to listen to this and think we have nothing, nothing good, or rather, nothing bad to say ever. Um, and they'll probably listen to this episode and be like, aha, aha, we knew you were going to get there. Trust. There's great stuff in this episode they just don't do anything with it <laughs> yeah they just like botch it at every turn it's very it's, yeah it's very surprising which i actually think is really uncharacteristic for what we've watched so far yeah yeah i would i would agree with that because the stuff that's been messed up that they haven't done well before it's not so much that they botched it it's just like their their general toolkit it doesn't work within it like the way that they pace things like they just yeah. haven't been able to write to their weird pacing and stuff like right. that they know the value of the pieces they have they just struggle sometimes to put them uh in a place that like flows properly this is yeah. a case where it's like you don't even know what you've got in front of you like you're not even playing with the pieces the way that they were that you built them <laughs> You built these pieces and you're not playing correctly. Git was messy, but they knew, they knew what they had with Git. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, whatever. So yeah. So (laughs) that, that would have been the correct ending. I, I totally agree with you. That is what should have happened. This episode should have ended like pretty much here and them fighting to like a sort of like almost destructive, like end for the both of them. But ultimately like doing the thing where you overheat the hunter. That would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we don't get that. So he has to rely on this weird little trick. The trick itself, I'm fine with. What it results in, I find really boring and lazy, which is he manages to trick the hunter, 
by pretending to be two people. We learn that he's able to do this because he's able to remote control his suit, which I can buy. It's nanotech, whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, I hope we see it again simply because thus far when he's done something once, we've had it reinforced. I don't know how they're going to do it without it seeming cheap because thus far they've done a good job making things not seem just like cheap and repetitive. This might be a little more challenging, whatever. He pulls it off. Unfortunately, what he does with it is he just sneaks up on the hunter and beats the shit out of him. It's so uh, weird. And that's how he wins. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's a bummer to me because it's like, oh man. And I know part of that is simply the expectation of the craven, the hunter that we know. But when you're creating a counter character, you're doing it from a meta place by its own nature. If you're creating a counter character, we probably know about the character you're countering. So the meta's already there. Yeah. It's it's really hard to convince me without doing something like overheating or exposing him as being too reliant on his body modification or technology. It's hard to convince me that that Spider-Man's just going to be able to beat him up because he snuck up on him. But, but yeah, that's sort of the lesson of the episode ultimately is like, hey, you thought Spider-Man couldn't punch people? Guess what? He can punch people a lot. A lot. Like and, over uh, and over. <laughs> there you go. That's that's it. I mean, that's not yeah, there's nothing clever about how he fights him. He just it's a he just, it's a full on beatdown. He just like punches the shit out of him and like that's it. Yeah. And it, it it costs him nothing. It costs him absolutely nothing. I would have been fine if it if it turned into like a beatdown drag out fight if your ending was the one we got, right? Yeah. That that I would have been fine with. If that's what it what it boiled down to, both of them sort of lose their technology throughout throughout the fight. Or, you know, he, both of them overheat because that is a parallel that you could kind of kind of draw between the two. Mm-hmm. I'd be fine with with the beatdown. But in this case, the beatdown is just so boring. Yep. And then he does this weird thing where he, like, threatens the hunter. He, he does this really uncharacteristically aggressive thing that is theater, but still weirdly uncharacteristic. Yeah. Where he, he uses his web to he, – he, he webs up three nearby lasers. They're, I, th- I guess they're like security lasers or like booby trap lasers. And he positions them around the hunter's neck, like basically implying like move and, and you'll be beheaded, <laughs> um, which is very Jedi of him. <laughs> <laughs> and the hunter asks like – like scared. The hunter is scared at this point, which I also don't like. Mm-mm. Ask, what are you? And Spider-Man basically says your worst nightmare without really saying your worst nightmare. I think what he says is you can consider me your worst nightmare or some some sort of weird workaround. It's a, it's, it's it's a long, stupid thing. monologue that's just like super just like, I'm masculine and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. I'm better than you. Like you – I don't know. They try to make it a joke because Karen is like, what the hell was that? Where has she been, by the way, this whole time? What was she doing? Chilling. Just chilling. (laughs) I mean, like, like, literally, she's just chilling. Like, they they ran out into into the jungle and then onto the balcony, and she's just, I guess, been watching. Cool. Thanks, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, with your, with your strategy, your your version of the hunter, just have him berserk himself and then he doesn't notice Karen and she's fine, you know? Whatever. Yeah. It could even be part of, of, of Spider-Man's strategy and I think it should be part of Spider-Man's strategy to berserk him then, like, knowing that not only will he be able to overheat him but he'll be able to tunnel vision him into into leaving Karen alone, right? So, yeah. Whatever. But yeah, Karen's like, what the hell was that? And Spider-Man was like, I saw it in a movie, which again, in a better episode could have been clever, but in this episode was not. 
Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's a wasted joke because I could see it being funny other like other places. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. With yeah. more premeditation and 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 whatnot, it could have been really good. Because it's almost like it's a little bit like the Woody and Sid moment in Toy Story where it's like, you're being way over the top right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's premeditation to that. This is just sort of like out of nowhere. It's very he's, out of nowhere. Yeah, it's not like he's it's not like he's realizing that the way to beat the hunter is to be more intimidating. It's not like a scarecrow situation where like, if you can find what scarecrow is afraid of, you can defeat scarecrow. Like he's not turning tables or anything. He's just, it's just like a weird, weird joke that doesn't really work in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And he also is just like, I think I broke my hand when I punched the rock to scare him. Yeah. I, I, I did find that funny. I'm just so frustrated it was in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny – I mean, it would be funny. I, it's a very Spider-Man thing when it's just like yeah. oh, you try to be like aggro and you're actually like not very good at it. Like I think that that's really funny. But yeah, it's just such a weird ending. But he, su- he succeeds in breaking the rock, which 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 undermines the joke. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. He, it would have worked if, if he had like the hunter – this is this is something I could see Spectacular's version of Peter doing, right? Where he like – he has somebody up against the wall and he punches the wall. You're not breaking the wall. You're just like punching next to the guy's head to scare him and then realizing after the fact, like, that was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that really hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so I get it, but it just it, – again, all these all these bits of humor like really don't work because they're not really organically built into the things happening around them because the things happening around them aren't organically woven together. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the problem. My dumb reach around that I have for it, if I were to try to pull some kind of meaning out of this ending, like mm-hmm. almost in a vacuum, I guess, uh, is that like the way that Spider-Man has to beat the hunter is like the hunter is sort of like in a way kind of like this like performative kind of toxic masculinity and Spider-Man has to match that with his own performative masculinity. Like mm-hmm. the hunter's masculinity is literally toxic because he's trying to make himself such a cool badass like aggro testosterone fueled dude that he's literally killing himself it's literally toxic masculinity yeah. so spider-man the only way to beat that is by like matching it by also pretending to be more masculine than he is which is not a good lesson but like is the only weird parallel that i can sort of see by ending this with spider-man just like beating the shit out of him out of nowhere yeah it's weird i don't i don't like <sighs> i don't i don't like anything about it i have a hard time with it I, I, I would have a hard time, even if – it's hard to say because they didn't do it well, but I, I feel like I would have a hard time taking it seriously even if they wove it like together well and that was what they were doing. You know what I mean? And I think part of that is just simply the fact that like we're so programmed to view Spider-Man as sort of this – not he's not like anti-masculine but he doesn't rely on those types of things to succeed in these types of scenarios so i guess that's what would be sort of provocative about it if you could pull it yeah. off it's like yeah but he it, actually does have super strength and he's very it's strong. really hard for me to envision yeah uh, yeah which, which i guess makes me really want to see it <laughs> I would be, yeah, I would be interested, I, I am interested in the idea that, like, that's the, like, we all know Spider-Man's powers and super strength is one of them, but the yeah. thing that you're always interested in is, like, how's he going to use his webs? How's he going to use his spider sense? And he's acrobatic, but, like, the strength aspect is almost kind of muted in him most of the time. Well, yeah, he's, I, he and other versions of Spider-Man are, are often horrified at their own strength, like, when they, when they abuse it or they overdo it or whatever, like, I think I think one thing that that is sort of subtle about Spider-Man, both Peter and I think this has happened to Miles before, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's happened to other other versions, 
is that not fear of one's own strength, but like intentional sort of like wariness of one's own powers mm-hmm. because he has that sense of responsibility. It's, it's baked into who he is. Right. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's, it's exactly that that prevents him from ever really being that type of toxically masculine character, which I guess could be the journey. Right. Is like, yeah. Could, could I, could I do it if it were necessary? And what effect would that have? I don't know how you'd fit that into this series, but it would be an interesting conversation. Yeah. I love the idea of it. That would be an interesting like comic to, or like just story in general to like explore uh, like an interesting arc. <laughs> and yeah. I do think Craven would be the right person to do it with. Yeah. I, I would say or, so. Or a counter version of Craven, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, this is the most disappointing episode of this series. Yeah. It's something that kind of blows. Yeah. Like it has my, my future husband serving to Kansudan. So like I, I'm down. I'm yeah. cool with that, but yeah. uh, you know, that's that's true. Uh, about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, whatever. We're done with it. We even we don't even have to talk about face of the episode because all the faces of the episode we already talked about. Just yeah. the weird bestials. We'll post them on on weird on bestial media. faces. Yeah. <laughs> and bodies. And bodies. Yes. There's so many of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yep. 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 You could just keep scrolling. There's so many. <laughs> yep. yep. They're yep. all deserving of your time and attention. <laughs> Gosh, the the fawn people are so strange. I don't like them. Um, they just they I look like, like um I don't know. They they look like they look out of place even. They look more fantasy than they do sci-fi. Yes, that's the problem, is that they literally are just pulled out of yeah. like Narnia or whatever. And like Yes, they're very <laughs> Narnia. Yeah, and it's just like, why, man? Like, what? I don't. It doesn't even really fit into like the aesthetic. It doesn't fit into like what the bestials are supposed to be. It's just so strange. Very, very. I don't strange. get it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. This episode kind of blows. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Typically, we enjoy things a lot. Yeah, and you can yeah. listen to us enjoy lots of things. Uh-huh. And many of those things that we enjoy are actually on our Patreon, uh, which if you're in our mid-roll ad, you know where to find us. But just to let you know, again, it as little as $1 a month, we have tons of bonus content on there that we talk about, including commentaries of other shows uh, that are not Spider-Man related. And also talking about stuff that is Spider-Man related that aren't cartoons like comics and movies and video games, stuff like that. So check us out on our Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. In the meantime, if you'd like to find us individually, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can also find me on Animal Crossing. I guarantee I will still be playing it. (laughs) Just reach out to me. Visit my island. Uh, If you're into the Pokemon stuff, you can find me on another show here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast, where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. Derek, where can people find you and all of your projects? Uh-huh. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens. If you'd like to follow Walloping Web Snappers for those goodies, like our faces of the episode, you can find us on all the social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All of them are at Walloping Web Pod. You can also email us at Walloping Web Snappers Podcast at gmail.com. Would welcome any of your thoughts, defenses of the hunter. Nobody's going to have any nope. of those. No one's defending this. People are so <laughs> happy we didn't like this episode. They're like thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you're extra thrilled, uh, while you're in a good mood, why not go on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or review saying how thrilled that you love our show, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> give us five stars for that uh, or give us a review or subscribe to us. Definitely helps us out. So other people who want to find us can find us on Apple Podcasts. Guarantee we're the only people talking about Spider-Man Unlimited with this much depth. Next week, we are going to encounter another Counter-Earth version of a classic villain. Really hope it's better than this one. Crossing my fingers. In this case, the villain that takes flight is in the episode entitled Cry Vulture. So obviously it's Shocker. (laughs) (laughs) See ya. Bye. Typically, we enjoy things a lot. Yeah. And you can listen to us enjoy lots of things. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Such as... Oh, go for it. There you go. There you go. I I was wondering. I was wondering. I was going to be doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And many of those things that we enjoy are actually on our Patreon.